Hello, and welcome to the Geekiest Podcast, where we sit around and talk to our friends about all things geeky, all the while giving each other geek points to determine who is the geekiest. Welcome to the Geekiest. I'm Joe. I'm Kayla. I'm Will. And I'm Rob. Hi, Hi Rob. Hi, Rob. Welcome. <laughs> well, we have uh, Rob Multari from Lone Wolf Comics, specifically the creator of Night Wolf. Uh, welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you for having me. Uh, seems like lately we've been doing a lot of uh, indie, indie comics folks, so... Uh, you are amongst an illustrious list of uh, indie comics creators. Uh, we've had the folks with Outdoor Media with Incident Report. We've had uh, Mike Shea with Miskatonic High. So uh, we don't count 90W as independent comics anymore. So we can't we we can't throw B. Dave Walters into that group with you. But uh, yeah, I feel like if you're growing um, to the point where you actually have an income and can can survive on it without having a full-time job also <laughs> then you, maybe you're not as independent as you claim to be <laughs> this is true so uh rob as as we like to we like to get into origins so uh what got you into comics so way back uh, in elementary school before i learned to read um i was struggling with learning to read and um so my mom had me tested, uh, and it turns out I have ADD and dyslexia. Um, so, <laughs> to uh, yeah, oh, well, at least I'm not alone. <laughs> no, you are not. <laughs> so, um, so basically, kind of like to give me incentive to try harder. Um, part of my routine was uh, if I did good in school, I my mom would buy me three comic books a week. Um, if I did bad, I wouldn't get them. And to also to kind of help with the, the reading aspect, uh, my mom got me um, the, it was like this three set with, it was a three set with Batman, Untold Tales, or Untold Legends of the Batman. And they came with cassette tapes that basically read along the story. Um, you know, so basically I could listen and look at the words and kind of recognize them. And kind of, it kind of just went from there. And I learned to um, figure out the words, you know, from the context of the story, um, for the most part, and you know, just kind of went from there. And you know, I, I, you know, Batman was always one of my favorites. Um, I got subscriptions to the Hulk, Spider-Man, um, and uh, so I really and I really got into X-Men, really, really heavy. Wolverine being my favorite of all time. Which um, funny story about that is I didn't realize like cause, you know even before I started reading like I was getting into like the you know Marvel VHS you know cartoons because I lived in a small town so I didn't have a whole lot of like cable channels so I did a lot of renting <laughs> and um, so I got to watch a lot of like the you know, the old the between like this you know the classic ones and up through the seventies and eighties. And they had the X-Men, you know, the Pride of the X-Men. Um, it was before the 90s comic, or, uh, you know, uh, launch that they did uh, on Fox for the cartoon. So this was like the 80s 
attempt, their their pilot, if you will. And mm-hmm. uh, ever since then, I, I like really love Wolverine, and I kind of recognized that Marvel, the logo, was on my Spider-Man comics, and then I saw a Wolverine comic, you know, and I just was instantly like, oh my god, this is amazing, they actually, this is a thing, but, you know, it's a universe, that we're all, they all, they're all together. <laughs> so that kind of blew my mind, and just the love just kind of kept growing from there. Yeah, I, I remember, and this is going to date me, um, Spider-Man and his amazing friends, they did they did a crossover cartoon where they brought in the X-Men because of Iceman's uh, Iceman's relationship with the X-Men, Iceman and Firestar's relationship. That was the one with the Juggernaut, right? It was the Juggernaut, but they also they had uh, Wolverine in it, and they gave Wolverine an Australian accent. Yes, they did, and I think they did that, and it was also um, they reused that same accent, but I think it might have been a different actor in general for the, the Pride of the X-Men. Because like, because I always thought he was Australian until like I saw like the the '90s version, and then I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> and then I, you know, and as I got older, and I read that he was from Canada and all that, but like, you know, at first I, I totally thought he was Australian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I I remember I remember like seeing the cartoon, and my brother was a huge X Men fan, and on uh, not only X Men fan but also Alpha Flight fan. Um, which I think that probably says a lot more about him than me. Uh, but, and I remember, you know, Alpha Flight was like the Canadian X-Men, whatever. And it was just like, my brother was like, no, 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 that, that the cartoon's wrong, Joe. It's, he's Canadian, not, not Australian. And we're like, oh. Yeah, it was really weird. I, I like, and I, it literally was like, wait a minute, why did they do that? <laughs> Once you realize it, you know? <laughs> Yeah, but eh, I don't know. Maybe it brought you know just just that uh, having an accent made it feel more legit. Somebody's <laughs> attempt at culture. <laughs> that was diversity back in the eighties. That's <laughs> it. I, I was just say because if you if you if you wrote Logan as a Canadian, it'd be oh sorry about that, eh? Oh oh, didn't mean to like slash up there a bit. Oh. Well, I think, and I, I heard like when they first were trying to cast Wolverine for, um, you know, the movie before Hugh Jackman, like there were some people were saying, well, he's kind of Danny DeVito esque. And I was like, uh, maybe for Puck? <laughs> first, first of all, geek point for the Puck reference because very few people get Puck. <laughs> my um, kids, I gave my kids a Puck action figure and they were very confused. <laughs> They're like, why'd you give us a dwarf in a swimsuit? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like, what's wrong with you, mom? Like, well, <laughs> I mean, I, I know originally uh, Doug Ray Scott was cast to play um, Wolverine for the uh, the X Men movies, and he had a conflict with Mission Impossible Two filming mm-hmm. and had to drop out. So we could have had Scottish. That could have, yeah, that would have been interesting. Um, I, I, I remember, I think it was a Wizard Magazine article that I read Ooh. around the time where um, they were talking about Kurt Russell one time, and I'm like, what? Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't Sometimes know. it's fun to go and go and look at who could have been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I, I didn't know like how legit that was, but then I like you know. Sometimes you're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's what they said in the legit magazine, right? <laughs> that must be true. What kills me, of course, is, 
you know, Hugh Jackman's six foot three. Uh, Doug Ray Scott's like six foot. Kurt Russell is five eleven, and Wolverine canonically is five foot three. Yeah, I think that's why they're talking about Danny DeVito. But even so, like, <laughs> no, you, no. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, he would have had to have worked out and had a lot of protein. <laughs> yeah, if if you have been cast to play Penguin, I'm not sure you. Although. In the upcoming Batman movie, uh, Colin Farrell is going to be playing uh, the Penguin. So, well, have you seen the makeup? It looks nothing like Colin Farrell. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about that one. He's because he is so distinct. Like, how are how are we not going to look at that and just be like, did you did you see the picture? Did you see the? No, I haven't seen the makeup yet. Yeah, it's. I mean, you you wouldn't even recognize that, that it was Colin Farrell at all. Like, I mean. I, I actually had to look twice. I'm like, what is this? Because like I saw the picture before I read the caption. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> my, my favorite, my favorite line was, of course, is why cast Colin Farrell and then put all that makeup on him to look like Richard Kind when you could have just hired <laughs> Richard. Kind. Yes, I saw that. That's that is the one that I saw. Because <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> he does look like it. Because you want the acting talent, not necessarily the look. Okay, I'm looking Theor- at it now. Holy cow. Theoretically, he's got some talent that goes behind it, right? <clears throat> well, I mean, I hope, I hope he does better than he did in Daredevil. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> <Not> fired. <laughs> I'm silent. Just saying. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now I want to know who's doing the makeup for it. So... So you had a love affair with comics uh, from from young young age. So uh, what made you take the the leap into uh, creating your own comic? So I've um, I've always been a kind of a doodler, um, you know, in school. Like it was one of my things. Like if I, you know, I think whenever I was bored, you know, we're not paying attention. Again, the ADD kicking in. Like I would start to just doodle around my notes to try and kind of get back into it (laughs) you know make it more interesting so uh you know partly coping mechanism others just like you know just liking to draw and and, um and of course you know i'm not a a fantastic artist but i you know i'm okay you know obviously not one i would hire for your book (laughs) or anybody else's for that matter um but my, uh, my, the reason I liked getting into the writing aspect of it was I like to tell stories. And when I watch a movie, when I love history, you know, like when, I, when something has a story to it, I get instantly sucked into it because I want to learn more. I want to digest it, you know? Um, and then I'm like, it's, that inspires me. Like if I see, if I'm in a movie theater, like in, I, there's this, like, you know, really great story, movie, whatever, like I get inspired. I'm like, I want to do that too. Uh, you know, I want to do my thing. Uh, and um, so a lot of that kind of, it was a lot of just wanting to be able to tell stories and, and do stuff. And, you know, in different parts of my life too, between playing video games or doing movies, I want to be like, oh, I want to do that. Oh, I want to do that. Um, cause there was even times where I wrote scripts for movies and video games and comics. So kind of like, just like at the time, whatever I was into, you know what I mean? Um, Definitely. Yeah. So, <laughs> Um, but I think what was really funny was 
what really got me to the point where I actually had the, you know, the, the thought that I could actually do this myself was in eighth grade. No, it was in seventh grade. I was 13 and we were reading Where the Red Fern Grows. And I, I know it has nothing to do with comics, but I found out that the writer was just, you know, one of, one of those, it was, uh, kind of, it was kind of an autobiography of himself and as a, growing up as a kid, but it was like, he had no like training, you know, it was just like him doing his, you know, his own thing. So I thought, oh, like, I don't, you know, I could, I could do this, you know, I, if some, that kid could do it, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it was one of the, it was just one of those aha moments like it, it can be done um so you know and for me obviously the medium being comics being my you know that's because books in general being dyslexic i i've only read a handful of actual novels in my life so writing one of those seems more daunting than i'd like it to be um plus i'm sure an editor would probably be like just go <laughs> aww <laughs> Um, so, you know, like, so then basically that from there on, I started writing, I did X-Men fan fiction for a while. And, um, I actually, I'd sent some of my, 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 I made a new, a whole new X-Men team, which basically I, um, you know, it was kind of like my own version of like new mutants or, uh, Gen X. And I called them the executioners. And I had a whole new set of characters because I, I liked the story where um, they brought in like the X-Men Genesis where they brought in the new team with Wolverine and all that. I, I liked that where, you know, Charles is going around the world collecting different people and bringing them together. Um, I, I, I wanted to kind of like recreate that when I was um, you know, doing that. Um, and I also really enjoyed the um, Extinction Agenda a crossover so i wanted to write something that had something to do with genosha and kind of like the rebuilding of you know that fallen government um so there was a lot of those fan fiction stories that i had put together and you know i i typed out you know i first i handwritten wrote them then i typed them out in my word processor <laughs> before we're you know before microsoft word <laughs> on the blue screen if anyone remembers those <laughs> yep uh, for going back that far <laughs> I I too had my I too had a word processor that operated not on not not on regular floppy disks no the giant floppy disks the ones that were size of thirty eight right thirty eight records yeah oh, wow yeah so they, you know and then the printer with the the the, the, the like where the sides would like have the the. I don't know, the, the serrated edges where the dots kind of moved. Like the old school printer was like, <laughs> yeah, so printing on those. And then um, I had my, my character designs, my hand drawn, colored with colored pencils <laughs> with their, bi you know, their bios, their strengths, their, you know, their favorite sayings and all that fun stuff. Cause you know, I, I, a lot of like dialogue and stuff. You know, like in those early days, they had a lot of like famous things that they would say, like you know, Wolverine like call himself the old knucklehead. Um, you know, you have you know Colossus always being like Bushimoy. <laughs> so like you know that kind of stuff. I had all that kind of like tagline stuff sent to you know Marvel for Stanley to read, and um, you know, months went by before I heard anything back. I finally got a very very polite and and, 
encouraging rejection letter. <laughs> um, basically, it was you know one of the you know just random guys at Marvel saying, "Oh, Stan loves to hear from his uh, fans," and you know he, our stories are so far in advance. You know it's kind of hard to tie in you know things, but we appreciate you trying and encourage you to keep up the writing and <laughs> and being creative. And so, of course, you know that. Kind of flared flared up my interest of doing it more, but instead of doing fan fiction, I decided to take a lot of what I had made um, and some of the original characters that I had made uh, and kind of reworked them. One of them being um, Nightwolf, uh, Rodney Marcelli kind of morphed into this version out of one of those fan fictions. That's uh, basically how you know I got into it. <laughs> There's a long road uh, to improve it, that's for sure. <laughs> that is super cool. Yeah, it's definitely super cool. Um and also like I'd be I would have been thrilled to get like a response back from from Marvel like that. That's uh just the fact that it had the name Stanley in it, even as a rejection letter. Just oh, yeah. the fact that it was like Stanley loves that's that's frame that, you know? <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. I, that that thing like I, I was on on my desk growing up the whole time ever since it was pinned to my desk um and it's probably still there at my mom's house <laughs> <laughs> that's cool i love i love that kind of evolution of you just you just kept improving and kept going yeah a lot of a lot of um you know taking what and as i got older like and i think so i wrote originally wrote night wolf the first rendition of the story when i was in Junior, no, I was, yeah, I was a junior in high school. I wrote, started writing it, um, and then the, just kind of the the story evolved with me as I got older. Um, you know, going through college and going through all that. Um, you know, and I'd constantly work at it, and and I never, I didn't actually. I have a, I have twelve issues written, and I didn't actually finish the twelfth issue until I was well into my adulthood. But as I like, as I was, I was going, I was always working on the current issues that I had written. And improving them, knowing, oh, well, that, that's so childish. You need to update that. Or, you know, like, that's, you know, that's juvenile writing. Fix this. Or, you know, you kind of have to also update it with the times because it's not necessarily a timepiece. You know, it's supposed to be, a, like, a present-day situation. So there's a lot of, like, as I was growing up and things were changing, I kind of had to make those adjustments as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Our, our writing grows with us, and... You know, technology changes, and you realize your character's still got a flip phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure when I wrote that uh, it was before the flip phones. It was like that. Like I remember, my dad had that like real uh, big gray brick mm -hmm. <laughs> that you pulled the antenna. <laughs> yep. I, I I could do even better. My dad had the uh, the block uh, the 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 block one that had like its own uh, shoulder strap. And they had the magnet on top that you put on top of the car. Uh, no, not quite that one. But it was the it was it was it was it was the last of the the portables before we, <laughs> they went to the contractor phones. And I remember he would yeah. come in with that and would just be like, "Do you carry that around?" He's like, "No, no." I, maybe if I'm on a job site, my dad was in flooring. I was like, you know, maybe if I'm on a job site and I need to, you know, but otherwise. It go it goes into the truck. It stays in the truck. Yeah, yeah. Those things weren't light either. Nope. 
That's awesome. Yeah. I, re- I remember my dad having one of the first car phones that was the same kind of thing. It was like had its own little bag and plugged into the car and all of that stuff. And and he would like if I, he was like taking me to a friend's house. I would think I was the coolest thing in the world because I could call them from the car to tell them I was on my way. Like <laughs> $5 a minute. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> insane. Oh my god. Uh... <laughs> but uh... and it's interesting how technology plays a part but doesn't in fantasy. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I mean or more so in urban fantasy but less so yeah, fantasy in general. You know, it's it's better to kind of like leave all that out. You can go back in more days with, with weapons and swords and, you know, good old days. <laughs> swords are always good. I don't care what era it is. Right? Well, I, that's why I had to include it in my story. There you go. <laughs> Werewolves with guns. <laughs> Sword and claws. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Go ahead, hon. That's what I was going to pivot to was, uh, so... Dark Wolf um, is not your standard superhero comic. It's Nightwolf. Nightwolf. I'm sorry. Nightwolf. That's <laughs> all right. Night, Night, dark, black, something. It's just. <laughs> so Nightwolf is not your standard, you know, superhero comic book. You've kind of gone uh, a different way. And I, and I noticed one, I know that, that the, the Lone Wolf comics kind of share a share a universe um which on your website you you go into great detail on like the kind of what to ex- what you can expect to find in the lone wolf universe um and it's really interesting and and you know something that i think definitely differentiates you from say your superhero your your mostly superhero focused uh colleagues yeah, um, so I think like the world building to me is very was very important up front. Like I, I needed to establish the world or universe that they lived in to kind of like it's you know going back to that whole you know I think uh, Tolkien was an influence there because uh, you know he he had his world but it wasn't our world but it was meant to kind of be a past of our world kind of a situation um, you know and then he had like he went into such detail with his maps, his languages, um, you know, and I, I thought it, you know, amazing that he did all this, you know, around these characters, giving them, like, a place to stand on. And so I felt I had to do the same thing, and I wanted to build, you know, I, I wanted to kind of, like, have similarities to, like, real, you know, like, religions and real uh you know, things that people can relate to, but take my own spin on things. You know, so like I said, you know, werewolf, you know, you, you've said it yourself, you know, werewolves, you know, it, it's similar but different. There's a different take on werewolves, a different take. It's not a superhero thing for me either. Um, but yet it's kind of has that combination between like kind of a horror and superhero. You know, it's kind of more of an anti-hero theme. Um, but I wanted to do a little different. I wanted to take idea of a werewolf and be able to control kind of like you know x-men style being able to you know go in and out of becoming a werewolf not just you know the full moon um actually um you know be, being able to you know be, keep your mind while you were um you know just uh 
while things have changed and, and instead of being like feral and lost, you know, we, what I'm saying. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so that's basically where I wanted to go with that is like being able to like kind of be a hero and not just a, mo- a crazy monster and, and go out and slash everybody. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. there isn't a lot of that. And they can I shift just... at will, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah. They don't need the moon. It's, um, it is, they can do it at will. I mean, the first time it's kind of like one of those traumatic things to show it. Like it doesn't, you know, it, particularly with my, this breed that um, I've um, focused on, they, um, they are, usually it's a recessive trait. Their parents may or may not you know, they, they have it, but they don't necessarily change. They don't know. They can go through their entire natural lives without it, you know. Um, but sometimes, like, when there's kind of, like, things that align that happen, that this is the one, this recessive trait comes up the first time they change, traumatic, and um, usually have that initial feral, you know, but once they get through that, then it's like, okay, now what's happening? Let me figure this out. And, and oftentimes... You know, there there has to there, there's kind of like a these these werewolves have a sense of kind of like a, a natural sense of danger or of sometimes they could like either meditate or pray if you will to kind of um, control these visions if you will. So oftentimes they will help find each other in these situations, um, whereas they can kind of help mentor through what they're going through. And then there's the, the cases where you know when left to themselves, it kind of gets ugly. <laughs> Gotcha, gotcha. So is the transformation more of a, um, like a magical? Because I've seen all sorts of different ways that they do it. Um, and some of them are like literally like flesh ripping type things and others are more kind of magical morphing. This is kind of like a combination. It's not like you're not ripping the skin, but like the, the it's the, I would say it's more like a mystique kind of a change where okay. like, but, but they're grow, but, it, but maybe not less, not as fluid. So like they are, they're growing the fur. Like you're gonna, you know, they're actually growing the fur. Their bodies are contorting and changing, um, in their in that sense. Uh, whereas like, but with Nightwolf, there's something slightly different because he's not entirely just a werewolf. There's something more to him, and I'm not going to real reveal that yet. Okay, that's <laughs> but fair. He is. There's something to him that when he changes, he releases a kinetic energy blast, and, and kind of like, and that's if uh, um, if you've read the, the comics, there's like these kind of like you can see the difference between his change and another werewolf change, where it's like it was more of a shift for uh, for like Black Claw, which is one of my villains. Um, he kind of shifts into his position as this werewolf, and whereas like. Rodney kind of explodes. <laughs> ah, interesting. Um, yeah, so that's, you know, I, I in the, the world, like I said, I did the world building first. I mean, we kind of went off a tangent there, but uh, yeah. So back to the, the question, um, my world building came first, and then um, you know, I, I, I even, like, played with the idea of, um, I, I, try, I even have a werewolf kind of um, language, or not language, but um alphabet that I even kind of like it, it kind of looks like claw marks but I did it with a pen obviously and one day that I, when it comes into play I'll, I'll show it in the comics but not at you know in the immediate future anyway <laughs> and they each have their like so 
werewolves also in this story they're so these this breed is a kind of an outcast because they are more of like the christian basic with like fighting against like demons and you know lucifer and also like alongside with like angels and stuff like that um whereas in my universe there's also a more natural kind of like native american-esque or different like different cultures with their own um their own deities that kind of play they basically these deities aren't really gods but they were celestials that position themselves as gods and that they these celestials also you know came to man and they were the norse um you know uh gods they also played as the roman gods they were also the greek gods so they were you know coming to all these different cultures and presenting themselves as gods but they're not okay <laughs> that's cool i like that there's been some some interesting talks and theories on stuff like that in books before i like to see that manifested that is neat Thank you. It's fun that someone who identifies himself as a Wolverine fan would have an anti-hero as the star of their uh, their book. It's, I'm just I'm I'm beside myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of too like um, growing up, and I can relate to Wolverine being like I I was picked on as a kid. I was the fat chunky kid reading comics, mm. and um, so. I think a lot of my internal rage, like I wanted to like let out and, and there, there's times where like, I, you know, for most part I held back. Um, but like, you know, there's times where the kids would then start, you know, saying stuff about my mama and, you know, be like, what'd you say about my mom? <laughs> mm -hmm. You know? And uh, then it kind of like, then I would unleash my, my inner Wolverine. Right. Um, <laughs> so I, I think I've always been like related to like I, I love the characters who just are able to like unleash that you know what i mean like don't have to hold back to an extent um whereas like with nightwolf i mean he's kind of he's not good he's not bad he's in the middle a lot of his motivations are you know a little bit um self-serving you know in a manner so he's kind of like that blurred line in the modern day so to speak um and that's that's kind of what I what interests me about him and being an anti-hero, you know, having that being he's like st he's still trying to do the right thing, but again, it's usually for like you know, more selfish reasons. For example, like without getting into too much detail, you know, his um, you know, his girlfriend is taken, and his friends and family are um, somewhat um, you know, either murdered or turned into monsters or whatever, and then he kind of is going after this this group of um, evil supernaturals called the Dark Covenant. But it's not because it's the right thing to do. It's because it's a little bit more out of revenge or trying also trying to save his, his girlfriend um, along the way. So again, it's not like he's necessarily, he's not the hero as like, this is doing it because this is right and justice. This, he's, he's doing it for, again, selfish reasons. Well, I mean, you know, with revenge, you can, can, but he's also kind of being the hero in that, you know, he's saving his girlfriend. So it's not entirely selfish. Right, right. In, in a sense, though, but like, had it been in the same situation, or, you know, would he, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of that teetering. If the situa situation was slightly different, had she not been in the picture, would the, you know, would he, 
even care. You know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. it's one of those things. Like it's one of those those philosophical questions of morality as well. You know, not just you know, it's not again, it's not black and white. It's it's the gray line of your interpretation. And and you know, like I said, a lot of the modern day things are like there's very blurred lines. You know, it's not quite. Um, like, oh, you do this, you're going to hell. You know what I mean? It's like, ah, well, maybe uh, I'll be forgiven, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what makes for good storytelling. Black and white gets boring real quick. Exactly, yeah. So (laughs) that's, that's, I think, why a lot of people enjoy, like, The Boys. Um, You know, it's it's that superhero archetype, but, like, taking them and putting, like, real human um, things to it, like, you know, with with the superheroes are being dicks, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, as yeah. long as people can 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 relate to how that character is coming about, those if they can put themselves in that position, then you're you're three quarters of the way there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and I think um, with my with this character, like with Nightwolf, I, it's, I tried to make it as relatable and, and kind of like um, you know that people can say, "Oh yeah, I kind of get I get where he's coming from. I get why he's doing it." Um, in you know, the same similar situations, I think a lot of people would kind of have that kind of same reaction. And that, um, but again, it's it's you know when it comes down to that whole you know that, and I think that's where a lot of his head's going to butt with his mentor, who is what I call a uh, purebred uh, Monokai werewolf, and she's kind of more you know a little more on the, the purer side, if you will. And where it's kind of the two will kind of have those little debates in their, you know, uh, conversations as she trains him. Right. Oh, did we cut out for a second there? No, I think it just went silent. Yeah, I thought I thought we cut out for a second. And it sounded weird. Okay, that's that's really interesting. I I love to see it when when stories are are fully fully fleshed out. Can you talk to us a little bit more about his relationship with the other characters? Yeah, so um, starting out, uh, and I, I know like the first issue. Um, I'm again not going to get into a lot, a lot of detail. Um, Don't spoil. No spoilers. <laughs> but um, I will. I will say that he doesn't turn into a werewolf in the first issue. He, he actually doesn't. It doesn't happen for him until the second issue. And I know that's kind of as an independent writer, kind of ballsy. Because you're like, you know, most people are like, I want to get into the story right away. Whereas I kind of wanted to tell his Batman origin up front instead of like as a memory, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so he basically, so basically the first issue is a lot of kind of showing his, his, his life as it is before things kind of hit the fan, if you will, you know. Once that shit hits the fan, you can't kind of, as a werewolf, you can't go back to a normal life. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, <laughs> I mean, you could try, but I mean, I don't think it works out for anybody. <laughs> Definitely. You cannot put the toothpaste back in the tube. <laughs> right. So, um, with, uh, again, with the first issue, um, it's kind of, it's kind of showing his dreams as being very nightmarish, kind of like the tormenting, those kind of those visions that I was mentioning earlier. Um, so he's having them kind of like as warnings, like there's different things that like kind of foreshadowing to him, 
Um, but he doesn't realize that because, you know, he, the only thing he knows is like, he, you know, he's a high school kid who plays football and has, you know, friends and a girlfriend and, you know, comes from a, a, a decent family. Um, and so for him, you know, like I said, life is great for his kid, right? You know, so we're spinning them out. And after these events of his dreams start playing out, you know, things, you know, teens start disappearing in, the, in his town. And um, in the last couple pages of, of issue one, you know, there's several different monsters coming in. You know, they're not just werewolves. There's demons, there's witches, there's vampires, you know, also coming into the picture here. And so he, a lot of the, the characters that you meet with him up front may, you know, they carry over into issue two and a little bit into three, but he kind of, after the shit hits the fan, if you will, um, he moves away from those, that, that side of his life because things have been taken away from him. Now he kind of has to, once his, you know, um, his first transformation happens and, um, and his girlfriend gets taken for a very specific reason uh, by the master vampire of this covenant, um, who believes that she is a reincarnated um, reincarnation of his uh, former life's love. So there's going to be a weird um, kind of situation going on with her on the side that you see a little bit in issue four. Um, but I, again, I'm not going to go into detail on that because that'll just give too much away. <laughs> um, but uh, so with 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 Rodney um, as he's you know basically this odd um, anomaly of werewolf, um, both sides, the good and the bad, are kind of trying to get his attention. Um, they're trying to kind of like maybe like sway them to their side permanently, uh, whereas it's. N uh, and the Master Vampire having that kind of sidetracked situation, kind of, he drops the ball on, on trying to bring him in more so, trying to, uh, if you will. So, basically, the Dark Lord of all of these um, Dark Covenants kind of want him into their fold, but the Master Vampire kind of is going rogue on that situation because um, he really doesn't want him around. Um... So that's why, and through the story, he starts getting attacked by all these wolves and vampires that are part of the Star Covenant. And his mentor, Snowpaw, um, who's the purebred that I mentioned earlier, she then comes and kind of helps him out, saves him, and starts to train him um, throughout the story. And you know, like I said, they'll, they'll both kind of butt heads a little bit based on their beliefs and between you know she's a over 200 years old she was born in the 19th century so she's more of that um you know church girl thought you know, process whereas he obviously is not he's got that modern day you know i'm not you know i don't know what i believe this and that <laughs> you know it really sounds really cool um where where did you draw inspiration for your world building from i mean i know you mentioned you know, kind of the, going for the depth for uh, from Tolkien, but like, you know, just in a general, like, where, what was the what was the inspiration? So I think um, a lot of um, I, I really got into 
a little bit of D and D and Werewolf the Apocalypse. Um, you know, like I got the the books, and I wanted. I didn't have anybody to play with, but I did a lot of reading <laughs> of the mm -hmm. and, and the books. So I had the manuals, um, and I think what, the reason I wanted to, I, I really love mythology. You know, and I, like I mentioned earlier, I like Greek mythology. Uh, Romans basically the stolen version of Greek mythology, but you know we all know there's a little bit of differences, and then Norse um, mythology. Um, so at the time when I was developing the gods of this, these these characters, if you will, um, I was also doing a paper in college about the similarities of world mythology. And thought, what if these were, you know, these were beings, you know, so that's where they came from. I kind of like from doing my, my paper research, I kind of was like, oh, I like that. And then, you know, Dungeons and Dragons also had their group of deities as well. So, and, and a lot of them kind of had the similar aspects of, you know, the different gods and, and world mythology. So I'm like, I want to make my own. So that that's where that that part of my world building stemmed from. Um, as, whereas, like the with Werewolf the Apocalypse, I kind of really enhanced my, with the, what I liked about the werewolves. Um, I always I, I wanted to see them put out a comic book, um, but I never. I mean, somebody told me years later that they did, but at the time there wasn't a comic book kind of like similar to this. So, but I did. I, I fell in love with the you know the aspect of the werewolves having their own culture and um, and then having these silver weapons that you know they that they're not entirely you know silver won't indirectly kill them, but they are allergic to it, so it's easier to kill them with these weapons. And you know, so um, and just in general, like being inspired too by Marvel and DC, I've always loved that aspect. You know, even back when I was a kid, about having a universe where these characters lived, um, and then you know, I've also had as I was doing Nightwolf, I had all these other titles that I will eventually be putting out as well, like uh, Crimson Dawn, Arcane, and Redemption. Um, those are my other main titles that I have in the works. Um, some of them are more superhero esque than others. Um, some are more um, anti hero stories. They, you know, they do all have a shared universe, and I try to show that in issue two um, when Rodney has his first um, kinetic energy blast. It's kind of like a shockwave that sends across you know, the universe, and um, these characters are shown kind of like feeling what you know that weird uh, turmoil that kind of echoes through, if you will. Um, so just, just I think having the crossovers. I mean, they've been kind of overdone now, but like even even when I'm watching a TV show and like you know Marvel or DC has like a crossover, I get excited and like my wife's like, "Ugh, you're like a schoolgirl," you know. I'm like squealing. I'm like, <laughs> you know. Um, so just th that's always been a thing for me, and I, I've always wanted to show that in my writing, um, having a bigger world that they lived in. Um, I feel it gives them, you know, if you if you kind of put them in this world, you could then um, play act them, if you will. Uh, you know, like I when I was a kid, you know, playing with my action figures, you know, like I make up these similar kind of stories and put the, you know, in similar situations. You know, it's like that's how like I remember playing as a kid, and 
I don't know if it was just me because like watching my kids, like none of them did that. So I was just like, hmm, maybe it was just me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if I answered the question at that point. Kind of went around. <laughs> <laughs> They definitely did because it was. I, I I definitely was kind of you know looking at this and wondering you know if if the world of darkness stuff was was at least tangen tangentially uh, related. You know, uh, we are we are of of an age when that stuff uh, kind of came out of left field. You know, it, it, and and Will is our our resident uh, world of darkness expert. Ooh, careful with that word. <laughs> our 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 world of darkness expert. Okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> so I can I can name I can name five people right now who are much more knowledgeable than me. They work at my. <laughs> you said that role playing was a big influence. Are you uh, are you a D and D player now? Are you in any games? I honestly, again, I, I never had anybody really to play with. I, I think I've actually played a handful of actual games. Um, like in high school and in college, uh, even now, like I, again, I still live, I still live where in the same area I grew up in. So there's not a whole lot of, um, interest in such things around here, unfortunately. Um, I, I think I would love to get into it more once my kids are a little older. Um, because right now, like my, I, I want to play. It's one of those things where it's like, if I do then I'm going to go down a rabbit hole and want to do it all the time. Mm. Whereas like between my full-time job, my family and, and promoting my comic, it's like my free time is very slim to none. Um, matter of fact, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, it's like, you know, when, even when I'm doing like things like this, it's like, okay, once I'm doing, doing this, I'm going to go back to doing work stuff <laughs> for, for my comic mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, <laughs> So yeah, it's I, I it's always been one of those things that I did want to do, and I, um, you know, in video games is a, another thing that I did a lot more of when I was younger. Now it's like if I have, let's say, if I have a half hour to an hour of time that I'm too tired to do mental things like writing or being creative, I I'll try. And it's and if like my mom or my my um, my kids are not around, my my um, wife's not around. I will just turn on the game and start playing and I'll get as much game time as I can. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, gaming as far as like, you know, role playing. Yeah. I would love to, but at this time, unfortunately it's, it's not something I can fit in. <laughs> I totally understand. Um, I think, I think if uh, it wasn't part of part of what Kayla and I have as part of our creative stuff it would be hard to cut out time to to play um but, but definitely I, I you know one of these when, when you're at a, a convention or something you go look for an open gaming place uh, open gaming table play a one shot i yeah if i yeah if i get to a convention where i'm going to enjoy it I, um, I think the closest one to me is in pittsburgh well near pittsburgh um, and they just recently started opening up gaming tables. Um, but yeah, the, the last—I can't tell you the last time I went to a con just to enjoy it. <laughs> I've been—I've been behind the table, if you will, for the entire weekend. <laughs> so you are the writer. Uh, can you tell us about the uh, the rest of the team? Unless you're 
also the rest of the team. I, I kind of got the feeling you you from your description you you have more more graphically talented folks. Yes. Um, so I do have the ability to do the book myself. However, time is not a factor. So I figured I'd hire somebody way better. Um, I I've had a couple of different artists uh, throughout. Um, so on the first issue and the character designs. Um, Carlos Herrera uh, did the, the all the uh, character designs. He did the first few pages of issue one and the cover. Um, but when we were getting ready to launch a Kickstarter for it, um, he actually got picked up by it wasn't Magic the Gathering, but it was one of those other like card based deck games um, because you know his his art his fantasy art's spot on. I mean, it's amazing. Um, so I couldn't fault him, um, you know, and so I had to look for somebody similar or at least some close enough to kind of like make it so that it wasn't that big of a departure. Um, and then I found, um, Oscar Chococota Ele, who is also the, uh, book Man from Bakuman Studios. Um, it's got, it's his, um, artist studio and he, um, has a couple other guys who work, he worked with and, um, so uh, I don't know if you can hear my daughter in the fighting bedtime right now. <laughs> That's yeah, what, oh yes, we're very well aware of that fight. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear my wife; she's trying to shush her. <laughs> um, sorry, yeah. Um, but so uh, Oscar took over for Carlos for the rest of issue one, doing the illustration, and Ross A. Campbell took over for the colors for the rest of that issue. And Ross is a very talented colorist who was supposed to do issue two, but got picked up by DC Comics. So again, I was like, on you, dude. Sucks, but I can't fault you. You know what I mean? <laughs> was, that, so, was that movie Good Luck Chuck? You're kind of bad for, uh, for, for comic book illustrators? <laughs> It, it, well, it's good for them, apparently. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, luckily, um, with issue two, um, uh, Oscar had his team do the whole thing. So he had the, you know, he did the illustration. And one of those other guys did the coloring, and um, and then issue three came along, and I'm pretty sure he kind of had one of his other guys do the illustrations because it wasn't the same. It wasn't as up, like it, it looked. Close, but not. I could tell there was a difference. There was a slightly change in style, but it was enough that I was like, "Okay, it's cool. Let's do it." Um, and then I had Gat Melvin, who I um, talked to to do the coloring for that issue. And um, then with issue four, I happened, you know, thinking about how like Oscar kind of slipped that in there without telling me. I reached out to Carlos and I was like, "Hey, what would it take to bring you back in?" How much? How much? How much would it take to get you back on this book? And um, shockingly, he came back with a number cheaper than uh, Oscar, and I was like, "Sold," <laughs> which was great because um, his art is so. I, 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 Oscar was great. Don't get me wrong; I love Oscar's art, but Carlos is is just breathtaking, and I'm so glad to have him back. So he was back for issue four, and he did the illustration. Um, for the book, and Gat still did the coloring, um, but Carlos did the cover colors and everything for issue four, and, and you know it was just it was just a great, great cover. And um, 
oh, I mean, I couldn't be happy or, you know, with it. He, he's full on now. He, um, so what happened with him was he now has a university, uh, job where he teaches illustration and, um, he, so his, he's actually from, uh, Chile. Um, and he teaches down there and he also, so he has more of like a nine to five job so he can do this for me, you know, kind of like I'm doing this, you know, I, I, and the, 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 eight to night kind of a job <laughs> um so yeah and now he's kind of like all in to the project like he's giving um you know advice on what he th if there's like a, a, a page where he thinks two of the panels or three of the panels could, could be combined for a better shot you know he's offering that kind of advice so it's kind of like a little bit more of a partnership than it was initially um I, I'm sure you're where you, you know uh, Jim Zub. Uh, yeah, he's also a uh, university professor. Uh, I think Seneca College in Toronto, and so that's like his day gig. And then he's you know does IDW and and you know Marvel and everybody. You know he works with everybody else. So it's like he's not he's he's got that nice uh, that nice ability to have a day job. That I would also imagine being a, a teacher of of illustration and, and animation and whatnot, um, it probably really really feeds that creative side. And then being able to work, uh, yeah, work yeah. on projects you really want to work on. Yeah, I would imagine that that's kind of a nice uh, marriage for that uh, for sure. Because I mean, you know, in a way, you know, these kids are probably like helping, like you know what I mean. Like sometimes, like when you're like teaching somebody something, and then they accidentally teach you something, you're like. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was briefly a, a, a middle school teacher uh, for, for three years. And yeah, there are things I learned that, uh, you know, I, I didn't know. <laughs> One that I was beasting. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it's, I, it's, I think it's interesting. And I, and I think also kind of a, uh, again, you know, not to push the, the, the good luck Chuck thing, but like, <laughs> you know, I, you've you've also now have someone who has been records recognized for their talent and skill by a university to teach said talent and skills to to people. So I mean, you know, you you know got yourself sounds like you got yourself a good team there. And and uh, Carlos was did the original character design as you said, right? Yes, that's correct. So like his connection to to your to the characters. Oh yeah, like he was the, he was there, you know. Like he was my first choice of artist, you know. And I, it was one of those things where it's like I approached him, and I'm like, this guy's too good for me. There ain't no way he's gonna take it. And I found him on DeviantArt. So I did. Like there was actually a, a long, there was a long period where I had an artist search. I think it was between like 2011 and 2012 that I kept. I wanted I wanted the right artist. I didn't want it to be one of those situations where. You know, because I have this story that I truly believe in, and I didn't want it to be like, you know, I, I wanted it to be better than what I could do, and I wanted it to look like something that I, as a fan, would want to buy and um, and enjoy. And just you know, like going through and searching all these different art, and there was a lot of artists that I um, that I saw. I kind of had like a gallery of artists that I uh, was following. Thinking, you know, this guy could be it, but no, no, no. I, you know, and and I have such a like. I like the way certain werewolves are done, and you know, I, I like them to look more wolf 
like wolf standing upright rather than um, than man looking more like a furry monkey kind of looking wolf, you know, like the wolf man. Um, but I wanted it to be like certain aesthetic to these werewolves. And so some, you know, and stylistically, a lot of these guys were great, but then when it came to the werewolves, it wasn't quite right. And so eventually I saw one of his, and I was like, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Like, didn't he, like, it was just, it happened to be, and it wasn't even one of his fully colored drawings or nothing. It was, it was just a line art. Happened to see a, a wolf standing on, you know, a werewolf standing on an, a ledge, you know, in the forest somewhere, and I was like, "This is exactly what I'm looking for. This, this here." And I approached him, thinking, "Ah, oh, he's never gonna. He's gonna. It's gonna be like too much money, you know." Because I, I think at the time I only had like three. I had I saved up uh, a couple years of um, tax income, you know, re- rebates, if you will, and um, so I, I kind of held on to that. And I think at the time I had three thousand dollars saved up, and I said, "Listen, this is what I have. This is what I need." You do it, you know, and and he agreed, and you know, so I was like, "Woo!" <laughs> or "Oh, if you will." <laughs> Got a geek point on that. Just, just gotta. <laughs> uh, I was looking at the the Lone Wolf Comics site earlier today, and I see the uh, the three other uh, properties, three other titles. Um, each of them. Very interesting sounding uh, sounding angles or sounding pieces of your universe. Um, what I mean, I, I know you're on issue four of of Dark Wolf, but what's I, I, I wolf. <laughs> Night wolf. Jesus Christ? Why do I keep wanting to make it dark? Night Wolf? Because it's dark at night. I mean, I get, yeah, I, yeah. I, get, I, get I get the uh, relation. <laughs> so you're on season, You're on episode four of Night Wolf. Um, yes. what's, what's, what's the, do you have a, a, a timetable for getting those other comics started or is it get through? Yeah. The- yeah. So, um, I, it's definitely something that I plan on doing. Like I honestly plan on doing it way sooner than I have, obviously. Um, but, uh, I pulled my, my audience and. Um, I said, okay, because I, I wanted to get their 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 input. I want them to feel like they're part of this too, um, which my, I call my audience my wolf pack, um, you know. And and I call you know whenever you know I we, if we email or message each other, you know, I, you know I say your loyal pack mate, you know. So I basically, you know, I asked them. I said, well, what do you want to see? I uh, you know I put in. You know, do you want to see Nightwolf number five? Do you want to see Crimson Dawn? Do you want to see Arcane? Do you want to see Redemption? And then I kind of threw in a kind of a curveball and said, would you like to see a Snowpaw origin story? And the top two winners of this poll, uh, well, the, the clear winner was Snowpaw. So I am, I am going to do a Snowpaw spinoff series um, here uh, very soon uh, with Carlos. And... Um, that's actually in production now, and uh, but the second winner was, or second place winner was Crimson Dawn, which is kind of like my super soldier um, series of failed experiments, and uh, so I do want to get into them as quickly as I can, but I need Nightwolf to kind of stand on its own two feet, so to speak, before I can get into another tackling another one. 
Um, <laughs> cause right now, like I'm basically, you know, I, I'm, I, aside from my full-time job, I'm doing uh, freelance work to pay for the artists to do the book and then go to Kickstarter to do the printing. So once, and I think I'm starting to get there. Um, so, cause like this last Kickstarter I did for issue four, I do have enough to do another issue. And, um, so it's kind of now getting to that point where I can start letting that ride its own coattails and then I can start picking up the other series. Um, so I think once I kind of, now I kind of have to do that with Snowpaw because my audience, that's what they're asking for. And, and really I'm excited about this too, because the reason I threw the curveball in there is because Snowpaw is my favorite character that I've come up with. Um, she is a, uh, as I mentioned, she's from, uh, the 19th century, um, Scottish Highlands. And, you know, so I, there's a lot of play between, you know, then and the Nightwolf series that I can, I can open up more of my world. Um, like I want to get into more like with her series, I want to do like fantasy creatures as well as supernatural creatures. I want to, um, I have uh, a steampunk dwarf. I have a um, bartender elf who kind of runs an underground creature bar. Um, I, I have a were lion in this story. <laughs> So there's a, there's a lot of things that I'm, I'm kind of opening up more to this in her series um, that I'm able to do more than I am during the modern series um, where I'm trying to keep where like there is a reason why you see less of these creatures. Um, it's like one of those things that I'm going to be, you know, point A to point B. Now I can, you know, fill in that gap. Uh, to answer, yeah. So to answer your question, I'm working on it. Um, I don't have an exact timeline. Again, it's it's kind of like as I can get to it and, and put them out. <laughs> our our previous guests have you know done the the crowdfunding either Kickstarter, Indiegogo. How's your experience been with uh, with that? So my first time around, I played the game on hard. <laughs> Um, so in 2016, I had the five pages from Carlos and the character designs and the cover. So I thought, but I'm going to kickstart this thing. Like literally, I'm going to you know jumpstart it, get it going faster. Um, you know, I'm going to have more money to be able to pay him and go. Um, then you know he kind of took the sales up from that. So I then started working with Oscar. So he then you know he and I started. We got he was the one who ran the Kickstarter alongside me. Um, and so I, I, I had a $20,000 $20, goal for one through three. And if I would have just done issue one, I would have been fully funded because uh, I, I made it to 5000 I think $5,074 was where I ended up. And um, that's generally where I start my, my current campaigns. Uh, so yeah, that, that experience in 2016 kind of took the wind out of my sails for a while. Um, but I knew I had something, so I just did more, uh, web design jobs and paid Oscar to finish the book. And, uh, then after it was finished, I had some printed up on my, on my own and I went to a comic con and I took a hundred of the books with me and managed to almost sell out of all of them. So I knew I had something and so that from there, my, my wife and I we were both like, okay, well, let's take out of savings, get issue two going, and go from there. Um, so while the art was being finished, um, I decided to give a go at Indiegogo. 
and I figured, okay, well, the book's almost done. I just need this much. I just need you know, some money to print and do the, um, you know, and do the, the rewards. And so that one only half funded, but with Indiegogo, you at least get to keep what you raised, even if it doesn't fully fund. And, and luckily, there was only a handful. Uh, I mean, I was planning on printing anyway, so I had already uh, planned on that, um, whether it failed or not. Because, again, my experience with the Kickstarter was already like, oh, well, whatever. <laughs> um, but I knew I still had something. Um, you know, every time I went to a comic con, like I almost sold out of every copy that I had with me on hand, um, of issue one and two at that time. So I'm like, okay, well, you know what, then I'm just going to do the con system, right? I'm just going to run the circuit. And, you know, so I started traveling, um, you know, I think the farthest, uh, so I'm, I'm north of Pittsburgh, um, kind of like right in the middle of like Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Erie. It's an hour and a half to each city for me, um, which is kind of nice because that's three areas I can hit. And then I decided to, the farthest I think I went was Boston. Uh, two years ago, I went to Boston to their fan, to the Fan Expo, which used to be the Boston Comic Con that got sold out to the Fan Expo. Um, and then I also did like Baltimore and several others, um, you know, Motor City, some of the big ones, like kind of within driving distance for me, you know, I think eight hours was the longest drive. <laughs> um, then I... Uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it a go again. I, I saw, I, I found um, Tyler James did a, uh, what's called the Comic Launch uh, podcast. And um, I found that, you know, he has a bunch of training and stuff on Kickstarter and, and you know, building an audience and stuff like that. So I took, um, I took a lot of his training courses just to kind of fill in the gaps of what I wasn't doing, what I should have been doing. And sure enough, like, you know, because I didn't have an audience in my first Kickstarter, my first Indiegogo, you know, obviously was, you know, why I didn't fully fund. So went through the process every kick or um, every con I went to, I started, you know, asking for people for their, you know, saying, hey, would you like to sign up for my email list? I'll keep you up to date when new issues come out, you know, so on and so forth. And you know, and I like to tell stories about, you know, how I came up with my mythology. So, like, you know, in my in my newsletter, I do a little bit of, like, oh, this is how I came up with this and this and that. And this is the character deep dive, as well as, like, you know, what's news and upcoming stuff as well and sharing, sharing new art. Um, and so that got me to a point where I had a big enough audience that I felt like I could tackle the Kickstarter again. And... So I did. I, I basically I I tweaked. I took what I had for my first Kickstarter, and I added the and I had issue three already at that point. Um, and so basically, I had all three issues finished, and pr three was print ready. And I you know again tweaked what I had for the first one. So it was one, issues one through three, and I had previews. I had an audience who was following me, and from there. You know, I said it. At a, I figured that five thousand dollar goal was a good way to go, right? Because I I did that once, so let's see if I can do it again. And sure enough, um, nine days. So I started it um, in October, and eight days later was Halloween, and it fully funded on Halloween. And then um, you know the rest of the time, like it was a thirty day campaign, so it ended in November. 
at uh, it was a seven thousand eight hundred dollar uh, funding campaign for issue for issue three, basically. Um, which I was ecstatic. I, I couldn't believe it. You know, like after my last two, I thought, oh, I, there's no way I'll be able to do this again, right? <laughs> um, so, but I felt okay. I have the I got the ball rolling. I need to keep going. Um, so then it took after the fulfillment was done. I, I got all the books out in February to everybody. And, um, you know, that's, so I think it was a December or January, somewhere around there is when I approached, uh, Carlos about doing issue four. And so from there it was, you know, we, we got it done and I, you know, during the pandemic, um, I've been working from home instead of in my office. Um, so I didn't have that. I didn't, I usually have a 40 minute commute to work and a 40 minute back. So I've had a little bit of extra time to be able to manage things a little bit more. And, um, you know, we got issue four done and decided, okay, let's try it again. Let's see if, um, you know, I, I can beat the sophomore slump as they call it. <laughs> and, uh, and sure enough, uh, I mean, you know, this time I was like, you know what, I can't, a 30 day campaign is a little, you know, it was, it's a little camp. Kickstarters can be a little stressful. Um, because like it's you're constantly going constantly at it and then like you know long days especially when you're doing this you know as a side hustle and um so i figured let, let me see what let, let's see if i can cite funded in eight days the last time let's do a 20-day campaign and just let it ride right and see what happens um so basically i did a lot of the same stuff that i did before and i you know did a couple interviews kind of similar to what we're doing here um and I also did, I did some live auctions because I usually I don't have because um, most of the art is done digitally. Um, I had a couple of the variant cover artists who did it by pencil. Um, so I did some live. So they got on like a Facebook live with me and we had, you know, great conversations, had fun, just talking, you know, and then while we were talking, we did like kind of a live auction for their original art pieces. And, you know, that was, that was fun. I, I, I want to do more of that if I can. Um, but I think that also helped to kind of keep bringing attention in. Um, but after the 20 days is up, um, so well, close to the 20 days, I actually offered if we, so at the time, I think we were under uh, 10,000 two days before the end of the campaign. And I said, Hey, I had been holding this cover. You know, there was a cover by um, Matthew Doe Smith. I don't know if you know the, uh, the name, but he's an artist. He's done stuff for the big three and IDW as well. Um, I've been holding the cover that I had him do for me back in December, um, kind of in my pocket. And I was like, hey, if we hit 11,000, I'm going to give a free Kickstarter exclusive copy of issue four with any physical pledge level. So basically anybody who got the physical at least got two comics instead of the one. And, you know, and everybody else got, you know, who was physical got, you know, an extra comic <laughs> for free. Cool. Yeah. So, and I kind of wanted to do that as a thank you, um, everybody who, you know, because I, and, and I also did like for the digital backers, I, I gave them like the digital wallpaper co of that cover because um, I didn't want them to felt left, feel left out either. So that was another part of that as well. Um, so, in you know, I didn't want it just to feel like a money grab, you know, so I, put in the money that basically, so we overfunded at 12,400 and 
a lot of that money got recycled back into putting into um, you know this extra comic, making sure that everybody got this extra issue. And I didn't print any more than the backers who were supposed to get it. Um, so that way, you know, it's, it is ex extremely exclusive. That's only for those backers. And you know, so I, I think doing just a, I, it Kickstarter learning from my mistakes and learning from the people who've been doing it better has helped me in the long run. <laughs> I, I think I think that series that you you mentioned the uh, the the how did comics launch? Yeah, I believe yeah. I believe uh, our friends at Addict or uh, also mentioned that uh, series is what they used for uh, kind of queuing their launch. And as they said, they watched that, they learned a lot, and then they pretty much ignored every. <laughs> Every lesson, every lesson taught. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, yeah, it's very, very com comprehensive, and um, and I've, I've actually uh, met them. Um, we're actually part of a mastermind group, um, Mark. Um, uh, so we we were a group with um, the the creator of the comic launch, um, and we kind of help each other through um, some of our our painstakes, you know, if you will, and, and kind of give each other uh, advice. Um, you know, on our projects. That's cool. That's cool. I think uh, I think they had mentioned that uh, this comics group before too. So that's really cool. That's um one of the things uh for like when we started doing our podcast stuff. I joined uh an online group about you know about not keeping your day job, and uh, it is nice to be able to post like you know when we reach certain milestone uh you know, total plays or you know best months ever be able to oh, yeah. drop that in somewhere and have people go you know really express uh you know express you know support and it's also a lot of folks in there reaching out like hey i'm thinking about doing this do you know a graphic artist that does logos or do you you know what do you think mm -hmm. of the word this wording or that wording and and it's a pretty helpful group a lot of people really step up to to give good advice yeah, and I think what I like too about like that kind of a setup, you know, it, the group, you know, is great, and it's more of a community, and, and nobody's there to to put anybody down. It's always encouragement. It's always just it's it's helpful to know that you have somebody in your corner with you. Um, you know, with me, like I do pretty much everything except for the art for Long with Comics. Um, you know, I even do the lettering. I do the graphic design. I do site i do the sales i do the marketing you know on top of doing um the writing and so you know having knowing that there's somebody who can you know i can ask questions and kind of be like am i going the right way am i doing this right or you know or even say hey you know if, even like when i love how they can be blatantly honest too they're like no you need to do it this way or you know kind of give both sides of the coin you know what i mean yeah i mean if you if you just go with you know only only looking for po you know for positive feedback, you will miss things that would make your product better. Exactly. As a matter of fact, um, I actually um, recently um, submitted to the group um, kind of a review of my the soft cover for my trade paperback uh, that I'm going to be doing for issues one through through four. Um, I, there was my uh, Carlos had uh, gave me a, you know very gorgeous cover, but there was still something about it that I was like it's you know what I mean like it was missing something it looked a little flat and 
kind of had an inkling of what I thought was needed, and I shared it to the group, and you know, they they kind of had the same inkling and kind of were able to put my feelings, I think, into words that I and I'm like, yes, it's exactly what I was feeling. Because <laughs> I think there was times where, I, you know, when you're too when you're close to it. Um, you know, and I, uh, you know, I don't want to ever offend Carlos either. Like, you know, when, when something isn't like exactly the way I want it, like, I'm afraid to like sometimes be like, oh no, this has to be like this, you know, but it, other times, it, you know, it's, it's still like, you know what, it's to make it better. We have to do this. We have to, it's also got to be that, you know, kind of, a, you know, the, I think it was the Goldbergs that was like uh, made it like a, a, a insult sandwich or something like that. It was like say something good, then something bad, then something good. It helps. Yeah. <laughs> Mary Poppins was not wrong. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and yes, you're welcome for now having that earworm in your head. Thank you very you much. Know. Well, I get a geek point for that one, I feel. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, it's, it's always nice to have somebody that can offer constructive criticism and uh, also having a peer uh, that is in that same situation with you. Yeah, for sure. And, I, um, you know, and like I said, with Mark there, you know, we're kind of like at that same level. And a lot of these other, you know, creators are. I, mean, I think there might be like one or two who might be a little bit farther along than us, um, which is nice. And there's a couple who are under us. So it's like well, there's there's a, a wide variety of creators who can kind of like help each other and in turn. Um, so I can, you know, I can offer advice as well as I'm still learning, you know, and it's nice to, to be in that kind of situation. That's really cool. Um, I'm, I'm sure we could talk for hours and Rob, we really would love to have you back on, uh, maybe leading up to one of your, you know, your next Kickstarter or, or crowdfunding, um, so we can help kind of signal boost that. Yeah, uh, for sure. Thank but, you. <laughs> but being respectful of, of everybody's time, let's uh, let's make a shift over into the geek news. Bum, bum, bum. I really need to, I really need to find like a, a music bed or something to put in here to make it <laughs> a little cool. teletype. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we can't we we can't we can't steal somebody else's bit now <laughs> i i also have a rule that we have to avoid anything that sounds like abc's uh old we have to we have to minimize the canadian content of the show okay and Peter Jennings was a secret Canadian, so. Oh, man. Does that mean we can't talk about Degrassi? Oh, no, we can talk about Degrassi. But only OG, only OG Degrassi. Oh, uh, okay. As um, long as there's rules. Yeah. Otherwise, it's chaos. So, speaking of rules, uh, we should probably get into the geek stories then that we, the geek news that we have. So, uh, who wants to go first? Not me. I will. Okay, Will. Um, I, I have some sad news. Oh. It, it, yeah, I know. And, and Kayla, I'm, I'm I'm going to apologize up front. Uh, the iconic Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade will not be live this year. Uh, instead, viewers will be able to uh, quote feel the spirit and joy of that day. Unquote. 
on television and online, according to New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio uh, earlier this week. I want all of the floats to be wearing masks. Uh, I, I know I've, I've brought it up before, but I, I lived in New York for, for several years. Um, and the last year or so that I was there, I worked at a, a business on uh, Broadway. And they we, ha- we actually could, if we wanted to, uh, as building employees, we could have shown up at like, I don't know, quarter to six in the morning to get a spot on the sidewalk to watch the parade. Uh, I decided against that. Um, my, my other tie into uh, to, to, the Mace, to the Thanksgiving Day Parade Mace, uh, was uh, my parents came up to New York for my 30th birthday. Uh, and I, through the hashtag not sponsored, uh, through, through somehow with Priceline, I managed to get them at a nice hotel in Midtown that overlooked uh, Broadway. So my parents, Thanksgiving morning, could watch the parade from their hotel room uh, window. You're so a good cool. son. <laughs> Completely unintentional. Did not know because it was like it was it was the, <laughs> the the Priceline gamble, you know, where you you set your price and <laughs> you know. And you just you you just won the lottery on that particular one. I I did, but that is that's kind of a little. I mean, that definitely is, is sad that you know the the parade will not go on, but. Uh, I think they estimate, you know, you, you get, you know, close to a million people or whatever along Broadway for the parade. That's that's definitely not social distancing. So. No. Well, they're still going to do something. Uh, what that will be, I'm sure Macy's will come out in uh, the next month or two. Definitely two. Uh, <laughs> but. Uh, at some point down the next month, I'm sure Macy's will have some uh, some interesting ideas of what's going on. Uh, as we are now two two months and a week or so away yeah. from Thanksgiving Day, yeah. uh, I have watched every Macy's parade for at least thirty five years. Um, and it is kind of the kickoff of the holiday season for me. And uh, my favorite thing is the marching bands. Absolutely. Yeah. Which, sadly, we will not be able to see this year. Yeah, that, it's yeah, it's going to be odd. Um, I, 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 I didn't really watch it religiously, like, when I was growing up or, like, in my adulthood until, like, my kids, until I had my kids. Um, you know, so that's one thing that I do watch with them. And, um, you know, they like the music dancing of course the balloons um, you know seeing the characters that they know and i'm like those aren't as cool as mine <laughs> yeah. spider-man's better than spongebob <laughs> yes absolutely uh, i i i definitely you know that was always on thanksgiving for for me growing up was uh usually by the time the the parade was coming on my parents would be like coming back from helping my grandmother get the bird into the oven and and whatever other prep work they need she needed them help for help with and then we'd put it on and watch it and then as soon as it was over that was time you know you know make sure you're showered and you know dressed nice and we gotta go over to Graham's now and 
my grandmother lived all of like a mile from my house or a half mile from my house. So it wasn't like we we're over the woods and, you know, through over the hills and through the woods. It was, you know, just the other side of Pembroke Road. So, um, but it was, it was definitely a big part. And then, you know, the only other parade that has anything even close to that is the, the Rose Bowl parade, which was always a, a big thing for, for my family to watch. Which is significantly smaller and not nearly as well known. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen it like two or three times and it always looked kind of slapdash to me. I mean, I've always enjoyed it and I always enjoyed the creativity that goes into the Rose Bowl parade, you know, since all the floats have to be made with, you know, plants. Um, but like, it's one of those things where it's like at, at this point, I mean, it's going on, going on over a hundred years, whatever. And there's that one turn they always have to make that every year, one or more of the floats, you know, breaks down or, or has some sort of major conniption making. And it's like, could, I, I know the route's historic, but could we maybe change the route so it doesn't involve having to make uh, a hard 90 degree turn with your, you know. But that's the whole fun of watching the show. <laughs> it's, you know? it's how they appeal to NASCAR of... viewers. <laughs> it's like watching hockey fight too. <laughs> I mean, you, you you watch Talladega. You don't watch Talladega for one reason and one reason only. You and I are NASCAR fans. We both know what that reason is. It's three words: the big one. Yeah. That's all we really care about. We don't <laughs> care about the race. We don't care who wins. We don't care who loses. All we want to know is the big one: how many people are in it and how bad was it. <laughs> Same thing with the Rose Bowl parade. How bad did that float come fall apart? To where we saw the guy pedaling in, in the bicycle on the inside? That was cool. Oh, yeah. If you got to see the inside, that was the best part. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, man. Uh, so, so, so starting us off on that downer, uh, what, what else do you have, uh, Geek News? Do you want to? I have you know, a feel good. My dog, too. Yes, thank you. Um, Please, feel good. Okay, uh, a, a feel good. Uh, every year, the Television Critics Association announces their winners of uh, the annual TCA Awards, and this year is their 36th annual TCA Awards. Uh, in addition to honoring the best programs and performances of the latest television season, each year the TCA hands out a Heritage Award for a landmark television series. This year, that series is celebrating their 54th anniversary, Gene Roddenberry's original Star Trek. Oh, well, that ties in nicely with uh, what we discussed uh, We discussed last week when they had Star Trek Day last week. Yes, it does. Um, the past winners of the TCA Heritage Award include The Simpsons, 60 Minutes, West Wing, Sopranos, MASH, and The Dick Van Dyke Show. So now, I guess, officially part of a, an elite group there. That's super As cool. it should be. Damn right. <laughs> um, Gene Roddenberry's son, Rod Roddenberry, accepted the award, uh, which you can go to StarTrek.com and watch him accept it if you so desire. That is really cool. Um, and I have one last bit of thing. Okay. Um, this will, uh, as release of the show, will be on Thursday. This will still be going on. PAX Online. PAX Yay. everywhere 
not PAX East, not PAX West, South, Australia, unplugged. PAX Online, or as they've been calling it that I've seen, PAX Nowhere, which I think <laughs> is pretty funny. I appreciate that. I do, too. I, give, I, I will give PAX a geek point because that was pretty funny. Um, when the show is released, it will be like day six or seven, but it goes through the 20th of September. Uh, live events every day, uh, celebrities galore, tons of stuff to watch. You can even jump in on some streaming games. Uh, you can check out the schedule, the discord, the streams, the features, the merch, all of the above at online.packsite.com. That's very cool. And I, I just pulled up the uh, some of the schedule for it. And uh, yeah, they have got themselves quite the quite the listing, including yeah, some, pretty much twenty four hours a day. There yeah. is something going on on one of the three channels that they have set up for streaming, um, yeah. all the way through. Uh, I think the last one to go on the air is Sunday night, 9.45 p.m. It's a Omegathon final round. Uh, but lots of really cool panels, uh, interesting stuff to take a look at. Um, tabletop gaming, console gaming, uh, plenty of Dungeons & Dragons involved. Yeah, and Please, I believe... Please, by all means, go check it out. I believe uh, at PAX Online, uh, they will be running Acquisitions Incorporated, uh, they and, are, and this uh, this this convention's version of it will see the return of Holly Conrad's dice camera action character Strix. I'm so excited! I can't wait to see Holly again. Uh, uh, I think you just spoiled it for people who weren't paying, who who were just going to turn in and tune in and watch. <laughs> it <laughs> is all over everything that is yeah. anything. It's oh my I god! I know. <laughs> Let me give him a hard time on my own. Thank you. You get to do it often. And Fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's really cool that they're doing. They're now just doing like a, an online convention because we've seen Comic-Con did online. Gen Con did online. Uh, DC Fandom was online. The recent Star Trek Day stuff was online. But they're doing it for like days. That's that's impressive. Yeah, I mean they're they're doing. Um, I'm just. It looks like seven I mean, days. Oh, uh, this is go. It started on the twelfth. It goes through the twentieth. So, uh, so. Nice. Yeah, that is awesome. nine nine days. Yeah. So plenty plenty of stuff to look at. Um, some of my favorites are going to be acquisitions incorporated, obviously. Uh, just some of the overseas stuff that you may not be able to see uh, quite a lot of. Uh, yeah. which you can go back and, and check out after it's already aired. Uh, but there's a, uh, just so much that you can go and look at. I mean, days and days and days of content. Yeah, that is really cool. Uh, also, merch. Yes, they, they're, they're having merch. Yeah. They got, I mean, which, which is nice to be able to get, you know, con merch for, you know, a con that you didn't have to, you know, travel for. Uh, we will definitely put a link to the uh, the PAX uh, 
uh, pack site in the show notes. So that way you can go and check it out and, uh, you know, check out the exhibitors and folks who, so let's be honest, if the conventions, they would be able to be, you know, putting their games or, or whatever in front of you. Um, you know, so, hey, go check them out. If you can purchase from them through the site, please do so because, you know, like Will, Kayla, and I have mentioned we've, we have been or are involved with, like, the Renaissance Fair community and not having had, you know, fairs around, a lot of our friends who that's their, how they earn most of their living, not having these events to do is really hurting them. So make sure you support the exhibitors who are, who are posted up here so that way we can continue having cool events like PAX. Absolutely. I'm going to plug one of their events. Uh, which will be taking place Saturday, September 19th at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which, if my math is good, that puts it at 5 p.m. Eastern. That would be correct. Okay, woohoo, I did it right. Uh, <laughs> it is called Gamers Give Back. It is a charity drive uh, to benefit Child's Play Charity. Uh, no, it's not has nothing to do with the horror movie kids. Relax. Uh, Child's Play Charity's been around for 17 years and the core mission is getting games and tech into the hands of in, into the hands of children's hospitals, uh, which is a fantastic organization. Uh, they could absolutely use the help. Uh, some really good uh, panels going on there about how you can give back and help some kids out. Very cool. So that's Saturday, September 19th at 2 p.m. Pacific. That's awesome. Love and that uh, appears that it is on the PAX 3 uh, channel. Yes. And if you can, if you have the ability, please help them out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is all I got for this week. Well, that is excellent. Uh, Kay, do you want to go or do you want me to go? Um, I'll go because I've only got a couple of little things this week. It's it's been a rough fiber week, guys. So, forgive me for being light on news. Um, I have one small little bit of uh, for all of our geeky crafters out there. Um, and since COVID, the the crafting community has absolutely exploded um, with just wonderful stuff. Um, Michaels uh, is doing their mystery boxes right now. They started yesterday. Uh, if those for those of you that don't know, every season. Um, as they switch their seasons over, Michael does these, Michaels does these big mystery boxes um, and they're full of stuff from, you know, the last season or whatever. Um, so they always have them out and they're usually, they're like five bucks or whatever. There's different price points and you get all coincides, sorts of cool stuff. On top of that, don't forget to look for hidden deals. That's a really cool thing that Michaels does as well for all of our, our geeky crafters and cosplayers out there. Anything that is uh um red white and blue anything that is uh the spring collection or summer collection check prices even if it's still on the shelf for regular price check prices because most of them are slashed to about 90 percent off um so all of you cosplayers and geeky crafters and all of those things go forth and to buy stuff and create um and i want to see that stuff uh so that's yeah. just a little thing that's super fun um so lately, and and with with everything that's been going on, and all of us kind of looking for distractions in this world of of craziness, in literal fires uh, and figurative, um, Joe and I have found TikTok. 
Now I know we're old and we're not supposed to like these things, but shh, don't tell the kids. Um, and TikTok has been threatened lately. I'm not going to get political, but there's been some stuff that has threatened to shut it down. And again, it has become such a source of of help and community and and creativity. And I mean, people that otherwise may have lost their lives entirely in this in this pandemic have found another way to make money have found their creativity have found that there are like-minded people out there have you know found families and all sorts of crazy stuff um and it's really become an incredible thing and there was a lot of talk that uh the tiktok was going to go away um and it looks like we might be saved um so if you haven't seen the news recently uh oracle um has out like outdone microsoft which is crazy um to uh to help save tiktok it's still up for for review um because there's there's questions of security risks and things like that but um for those of you that were scared and hadn't seen the news yet it looks like tiktok might be saved so we're really excited about that yeah yeah there's still still some hoops and still some understanding about what what services or what oracle is offering to uh the company behind tiktok but yeah for the moment it looks good although it's a fluid situation. I know everyone kept saying the 15th was the cutoff date, but if you look at um, when the executive orders were sent out, the, the 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 banning of transactions wouldn't actually kick in until the 20th. So even mm -hmm. if even if the people drag their feet, there's still some more more time on the clock than what some folks were originally aware of. Yeah, we've got a little bit more time. There are people out there that are fighting for it that do yeah. see what it is and, and how cool it is. And keep the faith, guys. And keep, you know, for those of you that are on TikTok that maybe are content creators, keep posting, cre keep creating content, keep encouraging other people to create. You know, the more of a phenomenon we make this, the harder it is going to be to take it down. Uh, uh, the other side of it, not to be a crass capitalist, but the more stuff that's on there, the more value it has to someone to step up and purchase as an asset so yeah make it valuable guys yep well, it already is and there's right. you know if, if the worst should come to play there are tons of other outlets absolutely yeah absolutely. yeah that's uh, another thing is you know as a precaution if you have favorite creators and things like that on tiktok make sure that you also look them up on like their instagram pages and facebook pages and youtube and stuff like that make sure that you have more than one resource for them absolutely or go out and design your own TikTok and make it worth and, and make it the thing. Yeah. <laughs> go do I'm the still things. trying to figure out. I want to do stuff. I'm like, you know, I, I get on these, I, you know, I'm, I'm part of an actual play on D&D. I get on the geekiest and I talk all the time and I have no problem. And yet trying to figure out what I want to do for content on TikTok has been plaguing me because I really do want to contribute, but I'm not sure quite out yet. I have a TikTok suggestion for you. Um, I don't know if you've seen it yet, um, but there, it's called the Indian Dad or something like that, where um, this girl is playing piano and singing popular songs. And the dad I is commenting. <laughs> he is so funny. I, I bust out laughing every time. <laughs> it's never too late to say sorry. <laughs> your, your IQ is very low. You, you, you're trying to endure. Like he was doing the... This, the um, Spice Girls one, uh, where he's like, he's like, what is this? You're trying to introduce your man to your friends? <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> you should not be tested. <laughs> There's so much good stuff. Oh, my God. 
so much good stuff. I could go on for days about the creators that I follow and and the things that they do and and just the support, you know, somebody could be having a bad day and just you know, just post that they're having a bad day and they'll get just thousands of people just hey, it's going to be okay. Like it seriously is an incredible community. You know, as long as you stay away from the conservative side, that side is crazy and scary. But we weren't around it's our pop politics. But it's all about the creators and it's all about the wonderful people that are on it. And please go and support it. It is really a, a wonderful app. No matter how old you are, don't let the kids tell you any different. <laughs> Get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I've got a couple things. Uh, one, uh, tomorrow uh, on, is this on, going to be on, I guess, DC Universe, there is a new... Uh, documentary coming out called the fire rises the creation and impact of the dark knight trilogy um that's uh dc tuesdays actually it's on their youtube channel will be on their youtube channel um so it's going to cover a fascinating story behind the creation of christopher nolan's uh franchise and how it changed the scope of movie making uh there will be exclusive interviews with guillermo del toro damon lindelhoff Michael Mann, uh, Richard Roper, Zack Snyder, and others. Uh, so that's going to be pretty cool to check out. And the reason for this documentary coming out is because on the 19th, it is Batman Day. Um, and there's all sorts of things that will be planned. Um, there's a uh, like deals and promotions and stuff. There's a way to, uh, there's going to be a uh, uh, voice uh, to change uh, it's a way to change the voice of your ways so that you can either have Batman or the Riddler uh, being the, the voice of your navigation. Oh, my goodness. Well, hopefully it's not Tom Hardy's Bane. <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> well, I mean, you could also get the Christian Bale Batman. Make a lifter now. <laughs> Where's the turn? I'm still waiting for the Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> He just yells at you. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Put two pieces of bread on your ears. What do you got? <laughs> An idiot sandwich. sandwich. <laughs> um, so Batman Day is the 19th. There's all sorts of things. Uh, so if you go to the Batman Day hub on DC Comics, uh, they're calling it Capes Out, Cowls On. Uh, and they will be doing all sorts of, covering all sorts of stuff uh, about Batman. And there's even a Batman activity. Uh, kit to download, which inco- includes many coloring book esque pages that you could print out. Not necessarily uh, just for the kids. I didn't <laughs> say for who. I just said you could print out. You insinuated. No coloring is for grown ups too. <laughs> no, I didn't. I knew who my target was. <laughs> Me. Exactly right. <laughs> um. So, so, so Batman Day is coming up. I want to circle back. We talked last week. We gave a rundown of what was going on for um, Star Trek Day last week. Uh, oh. By the sound, you will know that Star Trek Day was brilliant. It was beautiful, uh, heartwarming, uh, heartwarming, and uh, uh, tear-inducing. Um, all of the panels, uh, while they talked about their specific shows, they kept all circling back to what Star Trek means to them and what the message of Star Trek is. And it all kept boiling down to hope. Um, yes. 
I would uh, recommend it's on all the panels are on YouTube. You can either watch them individually or they have done like an omnibus version. Uh, it's like two hours and 45 minutes long, uh, but it covers all the panels. Watch it. The The panel with the lower decks uh, cast oh. uh, was so funny. Um, and, and the way they pick on, on, on Jack Quaid is just... <laughs> chef kiss yeah. beautiful it's it's really cute it's all of them are so good they're all so heartfelt it's awesome because the two hosts you either get will wheaton who we all know and love or uh the up-and-coming micah burton uh who is lavar burton's daughter who is beautiful and sweet and incredible and just this ray of sunshine that is is she's an excellent interviewer she's also doing critter hugs with uh with matt mercer um she's just really cool and it just oh my god just the the love like not one of them is is cynical or over it or didn't enjoy their experience and all of the love that, that goes into star trek is oh my god i could gush for hours it's so good my, my favorite part of that voyager panel was when lavar burt wanted to say hi to his friend <laughs> yes god that, that, it just yeah. made me fall in love with that man he, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that was, was so cute. Uh, I also uh, like I this... think Robert Picardo's line was best. Wait a minute, what are you doing here? Your show's <laughs> at the other end of the. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I also I, I loved at the beginning of the Voyager one where, uh, I think it was Robert McNeil was like you know secretly uh, Harry and and Tom were were in love with each other and Garrett's response was secretly. <laughs> um. But each of the panels was awesome. Um, I got to say, uh, the one that hit me hardest was the original series with George Takei and Rod Roddenberry. And especially George Takei discussing, you know, all the activism he had done um, after, you know, during Star Trek, after Star, Star Trek. And but for the bulk of that time, being closeted as a gay man and how you just... I don't know. I got from from watching that if the man has any regrets in his life is that for those years, he wasn't living his authentic self. He wasn't living his truth. And I just wanted to, like, reach out and give him a hug and be like, listen, that was not, you know, then was not now where, you know, yeah, you probably wouldn't have worked again or you would only get very terrible roles, you know, playing up caricatures. Um you know, it, it, it really, it really hurt me. I, I don't want to say hurt, but I could feel the pain in it. And it was just like, you want to reach out and just like, you know, you did so much. You marched for other folks' civil rights. Just, you know, don't, don't keep holding that regret. Um, but it was, it was, it, all the panels are beautiful. Uh, but like I said, it came back down to, you know, the singular mission, uh, the singular mission statement of Star Trek being hope, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, what? as everyone kept saying, you know, Star Trek is at its best when the world around it's kind of its darkest. So uh, it definitely was a very, very interesting to watch. Um, the Strange New Worlds panel had me um, so hopeful for this series coming out. It sounds like the people writing the scripts and running the show have Star Trek DNA in their in their bodies. Oh yeah. They know 
they know what Star Trek is and they know how to do a Star Trek show. And it seems like the 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 three leads, uh, Anson Mount, Romaine, Rebecca Romaine, and uh, Ethan Peck, uh, they are taking these roles seriously. You know, they're looking to get inside these characters that, you know, as they kept joking, um, the the cage was the original uh, Star Trek pilot, and this is the longest ever uh, pickup decision um, <laughs> in, in television history. Um, but it seems like the three of them really want to get into these characters. I mean, Ethan playing Spock, he's got someone to look to to see how Spock how Spock develops. But for uh, Anson Mountain and Rebecca Romaine, um, you know, number one only appeared in that one episode. Christopher Pike appeared in two episodes. Um, so they've got a lot of room to work and grow and develop these characters with, you know, as well as the writers and, and, and directors for the series. So, but, uh, oh my God, I'm so ready for that show. Uh, when can we get that out? Um, mm-hmm. And then they released a new Discovery trailer. Nom, 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 nom. And uh, yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> looks so looks really good. And uh, Discovery will be coming back to CBS All Access uh, for those of us in, in the United States on October 15th. Uh, and as mentioned, oftentimes in, in the, the show, uh, in the Star Trek Day things, you know, uh, the rest of it is, you know, certain Canadian channels, and then for like 190 other countries, you can catch it on Netflix. So the day after, so it, uh, Star Trek Day seemed awesome, really cool, and uh, I would highly recommend go watch the panels and uh, slowly count down that month until we get the uh, the new Discovery. Um, last of my geek news stuff, uh, EW Entertainment Weekly put out. Uh, some photos uh, for uh, getting you ready for Mandalorian season two. Um, yes. As if we yes. needed help. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now we're talking your language, huh? <laughs> I, I have to make a, a, a answer. I am more Star Wars <laughs> than this tricky. That's okay. That's totally okay. We respect yeah. both. Right. <laughs> Um, the, the pictures of the, uh, call them the, the four main casts, uh, the Mandalorian himself, the child, uh, Gina Carano and, uh, who plays Cara Dune and, uh, Carl Weathers, whose character's name slips my mind. Uh, and then, uh, there's also a picture of Giancarlo Esposito, who is, uh, the moth that appeared in the last episode, last episode. Um, and, yeah, the pictures definitely have uh, that appetite whetted, um, and Mandalorian comes out uh, October 30th, I believe. So, hey, day hey, before hon- my birthday. Hey, honey, October I know is your birthday month, so yes. um, Star Trek and Star Wars are giving you birthday presents. Okay, she has I'm to good share. with that. I will. Sh- <laughs> I, I I am very good at sharing. I share all the things I love because so. I'm a week before you. That's right, you are. <laughs> yep. So you get you get Star Trek and Star Wars for your birthday well, too. I did not know mm-hmm. that I did not know you were an October birthday. So yeah, you too for your birthday. Uh, Paramount uh, and CBS and Disney Star Wars are giving you guys gifts, and we They're all so get kind. to we all get to enjoy them as well. 
<laughs> I'm so it. excited. I, I am so excited to see more of The Mandalorian. I, I really want to go back and watch it again. Like, it was so, like, it's so burned into your brain. But at the same time, there's so much and there's so many little details. And there's so many things that just, like, it went by so fast the first time. Yeah. That yeah, I'm so sad that it was so short, too. Like, I wish they were, like, the full, like, length hours. Like, a lot of the most short shows these days. Mm -hmm. I felt that it went, a half hour is not enough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Went, it left me wanting more every time, but I had, it just it, it was so. Oh my! I it was just so well done. I think I think we're gonna have to go back and and, and rewatch it. I'm down. And, I'm down. Totally. Um, yep. I, and I, I think it definitely got the sense about the so much more that was going on because we watched the the gallery episodes. Yes. Uh, and and those behind the scenes, which if you haven't seen them, you should watch them. They're really good. Mm. Um, and and will make you feel very comfortable that this franchise is in the hands of John Favreau and Dave Filoni because those two guys, like I said, they're guys, the the writers and producers for Strange New Worlds have Star Trek in their DNA. John Favreau and Dave Filoni, I believe, have a big dose of Star Wars in their DNA. Oh, I'd love to work with uh, John Favreau. He um. It's funny. Is like there was a question on Facebook. You know, if you had the opportunity to work with, you know, your IP and some anybody in Hollywood, he was my answer. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can you imagine know. just his oh. wealth of knowledge? So good. Yeah, and and you know, to remember, the Marvel Cinematic Universe started with John Favreau doing Iron Man True and, story. Say, and saying true. and saying. I want Robert Downey Jr. to be Tony Stark. I know there's liability there, but he's Tony Stark. Yeah, yeah like the man is Tony Stark. Like, it's just... yeah, like, yeah. I mean, just his entire yeah being. <laughs> so, well, uh, that's that's my geek news. Uh, Kay, sir, the board, the venti board, the Ooh. the grande board. Where is the board? I think the dog is sitting on it. Hold on, here it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. The dog is sitting on it, just like nature. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, she, uh, so our our little our itty bitty pity. Um, she's all of forty. <laughs> she's all of forty pounds. Uh, she's fourteen years old. I rescued her off the streets. She is my everything, and she has this fetish for sitting on technology. Like, I don't know what the deal is with her, but if my phone is on the bed anywhere, and that's usually what I use for the scoreboard, she will come and lay on it. And she was she was curled up on my lap, and I had put it in my lap, and I had to pull it out from under her. Um, <laughs> she so not only, She not only lays on your phone, but TV remotes, uh, laptops, Yeah, yeah, tablets. if anything is available for her to lay on that is technology, she will lay on it. Like, I have to forcibly keep her off my computer when I'm on a show. Like, she's, just, she's such a weird dog. That's cool, though. <laughs> <laughs> she's, like, in my face right now. I don't know why. She's being very needy. Stole um, it. <laughs> um, stole it <laughs> yes, that's a key point. <laughs> that last one in. Yeah. Um, so, so interestingly enough, today I think we were all so mesmerized uh, by listening to Rob talk about this wonderful creation of his that we kind of forgot about a little bit, which happens from time to time. Um, Rob still wins. 
Uh, <laughs> 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 Rob wins with four. Um, uh, Joe's got one, and Will and I kind of just we were we were way too enamored with just listening to you speak and and forgot to be our normal witty selves. Um, so Rob, the floor is yours, sir. Oh well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I, I well, I'm glad I didn't bore you. And <laughs> not at all. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I uh, thank you. I you know I appreciate you guys for uh, bringing me in and letting me talk. And um, you know, I could I could talk you know geeky werewolf comic book stuff all day long. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, no, I I. I uh, yeah, again, I appreciate you guys letting me uh, come on, and, and I definitely would love to come back and do it again. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, where can they find uh, find your stuff on the uh, the interwebs there, Rob? So you can find uh, my comics at LoneWolfComics.com. Uh, you could also find me on the socials at LoneWolfComics, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Excellent, excellent, cool. and we'll put links to that in the show notes. Uh, Kayla, where can they find you on the webs? Okay, uh, you can find me on the Twits at Hawk underscore Kayla. That is K-A-I-L-A. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Geekiest Kayla, which is kind of the one I check the most. So if you really want to say hi or have suggestions or questions, that's the best one to get it to. Um, you can find me playing Jade on the Not Safe for Wizards D&D 5th Edition uh, uh podcast um which comes out every friday friday thank you <laughs> <laughs> my brain just like forgot what days were for a second i was like there's days there somewhere which comes out every friday or every yeah every other friday with along with out of character um which is our our counter show which is kind of like a just a little talk show but you can find me playing jade on that um, also, uh, for those of you that haven't heard the show before, or don't know, we have, uh, an awesome little thrift store, um, that is kind of a geeky little secondhand haven of, haven of fun stuff, um, in downtown Davie. Uh, so if you're in the South Florida area and would like to check us out, we have all sorts of collectibles and memorabilia, uh, from comics and movies and, and geeky stuff, um, along with costumes, cosplay stuff. All sorts of interesting things. You can find that at 4148 Davy Road. Or uh, if you can't make it into the store itself, you can check us out online at secondhandgoddess.net. Um, and of course, all of the socials at Secondhand Goddess. Excellent. And Will? You can find me at Geekiest Will on Twitter and Instagram. Where can they find you, Joe? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Demorgus. That's D-E-M-O-R-G-U-S. Uh, for the podcast, you can find it across all the social medias at The Geekiest Pod. Uh, so that's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, you can also find me as the DM of the Not Safe for Wizards 5th Edition Actual Play Podcast, where I play all the other characters, but the player characters, and challenge my players every week. What's uh, his name? Oh, Guard <laughs> A. <laughs> Town Guard You're Never Gonna See Again. But I need to know his name and his entire backstory and who his wife is and what his kids' names are. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just I'll just put that plot hook on hold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um you can also check out my very need to be updated blog, the geeky uh the evolving DM, uh, which is also the name of my let's play a one shot or learn to play D D, which is going to be 
started back up so we can do some remote playing and learning because this doesn't look like it's settling down anytime soon. So um, and I think that's it for me. Um, so as always, uh, we want to remind you to continue following social distancing rules, wear a mask when you're out. As Pete would say, don't be a dick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we believe that Black Lives Matter. We thank you for listening this week, and we hope to talk to you next week. Bye. Leave the world a better place than you found it, kids. Hey there, listener. Before we get out of here, just want to uh, ask you to do us a little favor. Um, two little favors. One, if you go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review there. Five stars would be great, but hey, we're leaving that up to you. And second would be share the podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, whoever you think would enjoy a deep dive into geek culture. Uh, that would definitely help us. Thanks for listening. The preceding program was brought to you by Armored Bear Productions.